0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 24 about the new life that Isaac found after chapter 23 death of his mother Sarah, and how God always has a chapter 24 about life to follow a chapter 23 about death. Now, our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God is Tom Cantor. Tom Cantor is a born again Jewish man who is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's a wonderful Bible teacher. But he's also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. And here at Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, we want to reach lost Jewish people that live around us. Some of them are doctors, lawyers, friends, or neighbors. Now, is your heart's desire like that of Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 10 that Israel might be saved? Are you interested in helping the Jewish people to find their Messiah? Well, our Bible teacher, as I mentioned, Tom Cantor, is a Jewish born-again Christian who was reached with the gospel by another Gentile, And if you'd like to help us to reach lost Jewish people and bring them to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have opportunities here at Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God to do that. Now we have a full-time missionary opportunity for Israel Restoration Ministries in the Southern California area, in San Diego, and in Los Angeles area. So if you're interested in this full-time missionary opportunity with Israel Restoration Ministries, you can contact us at 800 247 3051 800 3051 again, 800-247-3051, if you're interested in a full-time missionary opportunity with Israel Restoration Ministries, reaching the Jewish people. Now, if you have a Jewish friend that you know of anywhere in the United States, Canada, even in South America or Israel, and you want to reach a Jewish person that you know with the gospel, we'll send a free gospel gift from Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries to them or to you to give to them. You just need to call us as well at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go online to fill out the online form at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher, here today on Friendship with God. So speaking
1: of Abraham, here we go. Abraham was old, says in verse 1, and Abraham was old. And well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest son of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me, and which swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore it to him concerning this matter. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink... And she shall say, Drink, and I'll give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. So here we are. We pass now from chapter 23, from Genesis chapter 23, there, to now we're here, we are at 24. And in chapter 24, We stand here in chapter 24 and we look backwards on chapter 23. We look back on 23. And then we look forward into chapter 24. And it's interesting when we look at these two chapters together. Because what do we see? As we look back on chapter 23, we see a chapter about death. We see a chapter about mourning. We see a chapter about crying. We see a chapter there about Abraham caring for the dead. And then finally, the burial of Sarah. That's the chapter, chapter 23. That's the death and the burial of Sarah. Sarah who produced the life of Isaac. So now, as we stand here and we look forward down here into chapter 24, we see something new here. We see this is now a chapter of the charming of the bride. This is the chapter of the courting of the bride. This is a chapter of the inviting of the bride, Rebecca. This is a chapter of the marriage of Rebecca. And this is the chapter which forms the foundation for the next new life, which is Jacob. And so chapter 24 is all about life. And it follows chapter 23, which is all about death. And life in chapter 4 is following the death in chapter 23 and God never wants a chapter 23 to be the final chapter. God always has a chapter 24 about life to follow the chapter 23 about death. He doesn't want anyone to have a chapter 23 about death to be the final chapter in their lives. That's not what God wants. For everyone, God wants there to be a chapter 24 about life that follows chapter 23 about death. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said in John 11, 25, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And that verse, the Lord Jesus Christ is showing us that unlike lost man, the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't avoid the subject of death. He doesn't shy away from talking about death. He's not afraid to look at death right in the face because the Lord Jesus Christ alone speaks of an endless life after death. In the face of death. That's what he means when he says, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So that's why 1 Corinthians 15.45 is so important when it it says this, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. But the last man, the last Adam, was made a quickening spirit. See, the first Adam, a living soul, and he died. But this last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a person who makes the dead to live. He makes the dead to live. And so that's why it says that also in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. As in Adam all die. So I want to bring this out. So now, you know, we work in Ethiopia. And we're in our city, Budajira, the average life is 42. That's how long people live. They're 42 years old. And they die from a lot of things, from starvation and from typhoid and so forth. But what they die a lot from is HIV. So the question always comes, you know, how prevalent? You always wonder, how prevalent is HIV? So we go on the Internet and we look to see, well, how prevalent is HIV? Well, the official government figures say it's less than 2%. But that's not what we see in Buddha's era. And in fact, our QC director in Ethiopia, before she joined our company, she worked for Catholic University as a biology professor. And she did a research project where she went door to door, family to family, hut to hut, place to place. And she asked the question, how many people are in this family and how many people have HIV? And what she found is that one in three persons has HIV, which is really more. So one day, it was a beautiful sunny day in 2009, and there was a group of four of us from here, and we went to visit the Mother Teresa compound for, in Addis Ababa for children with HIV. And it's a beautiful place. I mean, it's on a hillside, and you, you, you're immediately struck with the beauty of this place, and you enter these beautiful hand-carved doors, front entry doors and and beautiful dormitories clean with bunk beds and hanging mobiles from the ceilings uh, and like it has there the, the fresh clean high altitude breezes blowing through the rooms and the school rooms all have covered with the artwork of the children as basketball courts as playgrounds there's a beautiful kitchen there's a dining room there that's painted in cheerful colors and and it's surrounded by beautiful eucalyptus trees. And when you just look at it, this is a beautiful place. And the compound is filled to capacity with 250 children of all ages, from babies, infants, to high schoolers. And it looks so beautiful. It looks like such a wonderful place until you go to what they call the infirmary. And there, when you go in there, you see the nurses. The nurses greet you, and they all look so burdened down, and they're frowning, and they have worried looks. And then you look around, and you see all kinds of beds, all sorts of beds. You see baby cots, they see those, and you see full-sized beds, and all of them filled with children, from babies to high schoolers, all of them with their IV poles next to their beds, all of them receiving these fluids, all of them dying from HIV and gasping for air. And then you ask the nurses, how many children die here? And they tell you two per month. Two per month die from HIV. How did all those children get that HIV from their parents? All of them got it from their parents. Their parents had HIV, and they passed it on to their children at birth. Then we went back from the infirmary, and again you see the children. And it's so moving as you realize those children are all sitting on death row. They're all sitting on death row, they're all going to die from HIV, because all those parents got HIV from their parents. From their parents, their children are going to die. And in their parents, all those children die. So we are those children, and Adam is our parent. And so we all contracted the sin nature, the original, for the original sin nature from our parent, Adam, and it was just passed down from generation to generation. That's the force behind the first part of 1 Corinthians 15, 22, where it says, For as in Adam all died. And all those children woefully came into, their, came into this world through their HIV-positive parents, and they're all going to die. And so that is with us. We are woefully in Adam, and all died. That's our personal chapter 23 of Genesis. But we've all received the Lord Jesus Christ, Trust we all have. And when we did that, we came into a new person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened? That's the second part of 1 Corinthians 15, 22, where it says, Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's our personal chapter 24 of Genesis. Our life is in Christ. And that's the great prologue in the book of John, where it says in John 1, 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And in 1 John 5, 12, he that has the Son, he's got life. And he that hath not the Son, he doesn't have life. Now, what we see here, the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to in Hebrews 2:16. It says, verily, he took on him, he took not on him. First it talks about what he didn't take on him, and then it takes about what he did take on him. It says, verily, he took not on him the nature of angels. But then it says, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. So he had a decision to make because he did this. He could take on the nature of angels or he could take on the seed of Abraham. He chose to take on him the seed of Abraham. The Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah Jesus, who we're reading about here in Genesis, he chose to take on him the seed of Abraham. When we look at it and we think of it in that context, the statement in Hebrews 2.16, he took on him the seed of Abraham, it puts everything in a new light. Because when we read that, he took on him the seed of Abraham. That means that when we read here in Genesis about these genealogies, we're not just reading about just haphazard genealogies here, we're reading about the seed that Jehovah Jesus has decided to take on for himself when he later comes to earth. So Hebrews 2.16, he took on him the seed of Abraham. And let's think of the seed of Abraham and think of the seed of Abraham like a string of pearls. And so let's see God now as the one who's stringing these pearls And he's stringing them one by one as he's making this string of pearls. And let's see each woman in this seed, in this line of Abraham, the seed of Abraham as another pearl that he's stringing in place here until finally the last pearl that he puts on this string for the seed of Abraham is Mary, his mother, through whom he comes into the earth. But Sarah is the first pearl that god puts on that string within the seed of abraham and now in chapter 24 we're going to see how god is going to now put on the second pearl on that string of the seed of abraham and that second pearl is the lovely boldly determined personality of Rebekah. and that's what we're going to see now one of the wonderful things that we learn about from chapter 24 about the we see about the real person of abraham and this is always a question in scripture who is abraham well, here you really get to see him in a unique way because there's one part of Abraham that's especially brought out in verse 8. And it's after Eliezer has brought up this massive problem, which is obvious, which is the woman's not going to be willing to come. And so Abraham replies in verse 8, If the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear." From this my oath, only bring not my son there there again. So Abraham knew that God had called him to the land of Canaan. Now he also knew, Abraham also knew about the passive, laissez-faire personality of his son Isaac. I mean, everybody's different, right? They're not all the same. And Isaac is not a confronter. Isaac is not a fighter. Isaac's Isaac. What can you say? <laughs> he's the boy Isaac. You know, He's coddled and you know, he's Isaac. And he's had a very strong personality dominating over him by the name of Sarah, his mother. As a matter of fact, Sarah had to be removed by God from the earth in order for Isaac to want to get married. Otherwise, you say, what do I need another woman? <laughs> I have a mother, you know. And so he had to. So Abraham is very aware of Isaac's passive personality. And so he realizes that you take my son back there, and he's got, you know, I'm the old family, and things. life is good, and uh, you know, he's going to say, i just settle down here. That'll be fine. And so he realizes that, and so he says, don't bring him back there. Do not bring him back there. He must not. And it's very significant about Abraham is when he considers that the woman will not be willing to come back. And then he says in, in verse 8, he says, if that's the case, he says to Eliezer, then you're discharged. You are free from my oath. Now, this shows two things about Abraham. First, Abraham was confident that God was not a quitter. God was not a quitter. God's going to follow through. Number one, God had taken Abraham out of his father's house, out of his people, out of his country. Number two, God had promised the land of Canaan to Abraham's seed. And so, number three, a wife is needed for Isaac, and God's not going to quit on that. He's going to follow through, and there's going to be a wife for Isaac, and God's not a quitter. And so he realizes, Abraham realizes, what God starts, he finishes. That's God. What he starts, he finishes. But... What we see about Abraham when he said, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath, is he recognizes his own limitations. Abraham says, I can only do what I can do. And Abraham is not a pusher through life. He's not someone who's going to ramrod his plan through no matter what. When Abraham saw an obstacle that he couldn't overcome, Abraham turned and trusted God and was happy to let God have another plan. See, he thinks like this. Abraham's thinking like this, if getting a wife for Isaac is of God, then everything is going to work out so God might work in her to make her willing. And if she's not willing, then God could do something else. I can't do anything more. This is a man, when we see him thinking this way, we see a man who knew his own limitation and was not going to force the situation. So he wasn't headstrong. Abraham was not a headstrong person.
0: We'll return with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in just a moment here on Friendship with God. We wanted to take a moment to remind you that Tom Cantor is the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, the original Creation Museum. It's open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And if you're in the Southern California area, we would love to have you come by and visit the Creation and Earth History Museum. And also, if you're visiting San Diego for a future vacation, Plan to see the Creation and Earth History Museum, the original Creation Museum, here in Santee, California, that's owned and operated by Tom Cantor, and has unique things you'll find at no other Creation Museum, such as the Human Anatomy Wing, the Age of the Earth Cave, and a life-size tabernacle. For more information, go to CreationSD, for San Diego, creationsd.org, creationsd.org, or 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher.
1: You know, it's very interesting, when you look at one of the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, it's very interesting, because it was when the priest, this particular sacrifice, is when the priest went along with the flow of the Jewish people and sinned. So the Jewish people were sinning, and the priest just kind of goes along with the flow, and he realizes, oh, what have I done? You know, I've sinned just like with all the people, I haven't stand against it. And so then God says, okay, when this happens, he says to the priest, when this happens, here's what you need to do. He says, you have to get a young bull. And then he's like giving the priest, it looks like a butcher's list. You know, they're going to separate this and that and then all these parts out of the bull. But it's interesting when you get to verse 11 of Leviticus 4 and he says this, and the skin of the bullock, so now we count them, right? Skin. And all his flesh, number two, and with his head, number three, with his legs, with his inwards, and his dung. Six, okay, six, all right. Even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn him on the wood with fire where the ashes are poured out shall he be burned. See what he's supposed to do with it? Carry him forth without the camp. Not at the altar. Not a sacrifice to God on the altar. Take him outside and burn. See, these are the six parts of the young bull that was not to be offered to God, but to be carried out of the camp and burned up. So what were they again? Okay, first of all, there was the skin or the hide of the animal. That speaks of the attraction to sin. That's what you see. It's the attraction. First John 2.16 says, All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And when sin in the world looks so attractive to us, looks so interesting to us, and it's got a beauty to it, what are we to do? Be like the priest. Carry it outside the camp. Burn it, God says. Crucify it. Mortify it, as it says in Romans 6.12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. That was the first, the skin. Second, the flesh, the flesh of the young bull. It also had to be carried outside the camp and burned. What's the flesh speaks of? Speaks of our inward desire to sin. It's embedded in us. You know, Paul says in Romans seven twenty four, speaking of this embeddedness of sin within us, he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? See, the flesh speaks of the wretched men, the wretchedness that we are. And he says in Romans eight thirteen, if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify, put to death, carry outside the camp and burn, mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Well, that was the flesh. Then there was the head, the head of the animal. It had to be carried outside the camp and burned. See that speaks of our willfulness, the head. You know, we say he's headstrong. And when Abraham said, if the woman's not willing, you should be free from the, the oath, this shows that Abraham was not headstrong. He was not stubborn. And again, so God says that headstrongness outside the camp, burn it. And then there were the legs of the young bull that was to be carried again outside the camp and burned. was the legs? The legs speaks of our readiness, our readiness to go astray from God. We are so quick to walk away from God. That's what it says in Isaiah 53, 6. It might as well say, all we, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. It might as well say, all we like sheep are so quick to go astray. we just like, really, we can't believe it. As, as Pastor Jim used to say, what in the world? It <laughs> says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. Oh, it's my way. It feels good. must be right. It is right. It's my way. See? That's the legs. And, <clears throat> now, and one of the th- that's one of the things the Lord hates in Proverbs 6:18 when he says feet that be swift they're really ready in running to mischief now, the bible speaks of swift feet in Romans 3:15 their feet are swift to shed blood so god says legs burn them outside the camp And then there were the inwards, the inwards, or the center, as it means in the Hebrew, the central part of the young bull, like where the heart is. And that speaks of how the center of our being, from the very center of our being, wants to deceive us and say, hmm, feels good, must be right. See, that's Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, he says. Who can know it? See, God says, the heart, the deceitful part of the heart that's desperately wicked, God says, burn it outside the camp. And then there was the last was the dung, the dung of the young bull. That had to be carried outside the camp and burned. That's basically the defilement of sin, how sin makes us dirty inside. He says, all that. Abraham was not a headstrong person in that he said, if she's not willing to come, then you're free from this my oath.
0: amazing expository teaching from tom Cantor, our bible teacher here on friendship with god every monday through friday and we want to encourage you if you're listening to learn more about tom Cantor by going to friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org now tom Cantor, our bible teacher is a pastor an author a patent holder inventor advocate for patience and even the 2009 whistleblower of the year But you may or may not know that Tom Cantor is also a scientist and biochemist and CEO of Scanabody's Laboratory, as well as the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, which is a suburb of San Diego, California. And because of Tom Cantor's science and creation background, we are going to offer you three wonderful books for a donation of $20 or more to the Friendship with God radio program. Now, the first book is on How Your Origins Matter, This book will help answer the important questions of what is my purpose in life, why am I here, and what is the meaning of life, and why is the Creator important. The second book we're offering is The Ice Age and the Flood. It's a great book that will show you how the Bible and science both explain the Ice Age and the Flood. The third book is The Search for Noah's Ark by Dr. John Morris, and this book will look at the archaeological, scientific, biblical, and theological impact of the search for Noah's Ark from Dr. Morris's adventures on Mount Ararat. Now we're offering these 3 wonderful books for a donation of $20 or more, and this offer is only available while supplies last and by calling us now at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Get these three wonderful books, Your Origins Matter, The Ice Age and the Flood, and The Search for Noah's Ark by Dr. Morris. We're offering these three books for a donation of $20 or more. Call us now at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Or go online to friendshipwithgod.org to our online resources and bookstore and get more materials from Tom Cantor and creation resources from the Creation and Earth History Museum. 1-800-247-3051